Hey everyone, a big welcome to the Forge Ahead Show, hosted by me, Nick Elston, inspirational speaker, creator of unique mental health engagement strategies, a transformational speaking coach, and a mentor to have in your corner. The Forge Ahead Show brings you the storytellers, the influencers, the people who have gone from adversity to excitement, forging something better, something beautiful, something powerful. So stay tuned. Dive in and be inspired by today's very special guest. Hey everyone and a big welcome back to the Forge Ahead Show Season 2 Episode 8 and another stellar guest to bring you, uh, Mr. James Perryman. Big round of applause to James. Hello my friend. Thank you Nick. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Very good. Very good. good. So uh, for those who don't know James, like seriously, you need to check this guy out. He's my go-to guy for communication skills. The guy. Heard him speak uh, actually quite a few times now, but also brought me into my own events. Uh, and also brought me on my own shows and stuff because he is a great guy to know when it comes to the art of communicating, which we all need now more than ever. And I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, and of course, this is going out in Mental Health Awareness Week, so we'll kind of play to that as well. We'll have a chat about how that looks uh, in your world as well, James. But first and foremost, tell us who you are and what you're about. Who am I? So I'm James. What am I about? Communication, and and you know, kind of you did that intro. Actually, I did some work uh, and still do some work with a guy called James Dodkins, uh, kind of owner of Rockstar Custom Experience, and plays in a band and does keynote speaking and stuff as well. And and we did some work together and he said, you should call yourself the communication king. I thought it was quite good, actually. I've never, I don't think I've found the bravery to, to tag that name yet, but it's all about communication. And for me, whether I'm working with individual clients or businesses, there are two things that are the most important. It's self-awareness and the ability to communicate. You've got to know who you are, what you're about, what your values are, what your non-negotiables are, and the impact you want to make on the world. And then you've got to be able to tell everyone about it. It's, it's all wow. well and good knowing, but unless you can tell people and make an impact through telling them and engage them, you're missing half a trick. I love that. I mean, as you know, from my speaking academy sessions, one of the things that I kind of major on early on is let your audience define who you are. So your speaking style, for example, I mean, I didn't call myself an inspirational speaker right from the start because I didn't know what kind of speaker I was. I was just telling mm. a story. I let the audience feedback start to tell me that. So people need to tell you more that you're a king because you absolutely need to do that. <laughs> that works really well for you. But actually, it's it's an interesting one because it feeds into something which is actually really common around mental health at the moment. Um, and mental health as a term gets a bad rap anyway. It's just mm. a neutral state like physical health. Yeah. Um, whether it's good or bad, that's a whole different question. But one of the things that is impacting people, maybe it's compounded by lockdown, but it's that thing of imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's a big big subject but for the sake of this little kind of part of the conversation yeah. um why are we afraid to call ourselves something i mean i can still cringe when somebody says to me what do you do i'm an inspirational speaker on it's kind of like i need to justify that <laughs> so yeah. communication is one way of trying to trying to kind of uh, i guess like social proof that you put your message out there and now you know why i call myself this yeah. this is my style what about yourself yeah. how do you feel about that stuff I, it's it's really interesting you say that and just listening to you and reflecting on it and thinking yeah why don't I put communication king there because I spend 
the whole time on social media marketing and and saying I, th- I think I'm quite good at this and if you'd like to work with me I'll really help you yeah. by putting the king label on you're just saying someone else said I was really good at it and I'm just sharing that but yeah you're right sometimes we stop um I think I think it's important to recognize what you're good at and and be brave and be self-confident and brave to to go and tell people and, and you're right imposter syndrome is I've just been talking about it quite recently, either through a couple of lives or some uh, some blogs that I've done for my own business. And my view is imposter syndrome never goes away. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It will always be there in one shape or form or the other. And it could be those nerves when you get booked for an event or when you're going to put yourself forward for an event or three minutes before you go on stage. Um, I've even had it. With, I'm running a clubhouse weekly room with uh, with someone I'm collaborating with and we did one all about imposter syndrome and we had someone in the clubhouse who was below the stage, so to speak. And they eventually came up to speak and they said, I've been pl- trying to pluck up the courage for like 10 minutes just to press, let me onto the stage because I don't feel I've got the right to speak. And, and when they spoke and shared a bit of their story, we were <laughs> taken aback. We're like, you have so got the right to share this story. Yeah. You know, what the, what's holding you back? And, and you're right. We all get imposter syndrome. I think it's, I don't know if I, it, it's definitely come more to the forefront, I think, during yeah. lockdown, as has mental health. And I think that's because there's been lots of factors that have compounded it. As you said, mental health has always been there. It's been something that's never talked about. It's gone from being a bit taboo, completely unlike physical health. But I think more and more we're accepting it across the generations and, and being more open to talk about it. And it's different manifestations of which imposter syndrome is one. Yeah, absolutely. I think... A dose of imposter syndrome kind of is actually not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. I think it keeps a yeah. lot of people humble. I mean, yeah. we we both um, are professional speakers by the truest sense of the word. We get paid to talk. That's mm-hmm. all there is. Is this no kind of myth- mythology around that? We just get paid yeah. to talk. Yeah. Um, so we both have those kind of stages and those platforms to deliver a message. Now, I would say that we are both very much ego-free in the sense that we will share the real insights of what it really takes to get up. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation mm, yeah. saying that we get imposter syndrome, we get nerves. And, and I'm always anxious when I get up, always, because, but I know how to manage that. Like It's about knowing your playbook. So the anxiety kind of keeps, one of the things that keeps me at peak state when I get to that point, and within three minutes, I kind of find my flow by yeah. using the things that we all do. And yeah. um, But we also see, and no names being mentioned, of course, because we want to keep it nice and friendly on here. We also see a lot of ego in the speaking world as well. A lot of kind of like, um, what's another way to say it? Bullshit and and bluster. Um, And you very rarely see the reality. Usually it's the kind of people that say, well, run to the back of the room now and it's 3,000 pounds. Those kind of speakers kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, (laughs) because they don't show any vulnerability and they they don't share any true authenticity, because I think we can feel, as a communications guy, I'd like to get your take on this. Mm. I don't think we can feel authenticity when we know it's not genuine. That it doesn't land as well or with that depth. So by, for example, I always remember the first stage when I did at XL London, standing up on stage. And the first words that I said were against any other speaking kind of handbook was, I'm really anxious right now. <laughs> like, who the hell wouldn't be? I'm just about to bear my soul to thousands of accountants, that kind of thing. Yeah. But actually that act, not only did it buy them in to knowing they're going to get authenticity, but also they wanted me to succeed. It's kind of like they got me on their side. 
when actually given my subject in accountancy, it can be quite prickly in that sense. Mm -hmm. We're kind of Mm -hmm. fighting against change, but it's a whole different story. What's your kind of take on that? I mean, you see other speakers, you see lots of different people delivering messages. Um, How do we, how can we feel if it's genuine or not? I think you're, what you said about that first impact is most important. I, one of the things I say, and and also what I share in in your speaking academy when I speak, is those first twenty or thirty seconds where you make your impact, and it doesn't mean it is the big rah, um, you know, the big, you know, you're selling from the stage in the first twenty seconds. That twenty seconds is it's got to be you. It's got to be the bit that takes takes your audience, no matter who they are, their their personality, their natural behaviour, style, communication style, for them to think. I like this person. I'm feeling emotionally what they said. I'm connected to them. I'm ready to give them their 20 minutes, their half an hour, their hour, their five minutes, whatever it is. Um, and it is in those 20, 30 seconds because that's the first impression. And and I think you standing on stage and saying, I'm feeling really anxious right now, <laughs> is the perfect way of doing it because everyone would just say, yeah, fair play. Do you know what? This might be your first gig. It might be your 20th. I don't know, but I get that. And I probably think that even the most seasoned speakers would be feeling anxious, but the fact you said it, yeah, says they're on your side. Um, yeah, and I think it's, I think the important thing is to be very real. You know, we've we've both spoken at, uh, spoken, sorry, at uh, Western at the you know the, the yes. gorgeous building there, and Winter Garden, I remember when yeah. I, yeah, when I spoke there, and um, you know, and, and it was it was a big gig for me. You know, it was it was it was I think it was one of the first ones I was being paid for. Um, one of your previous guests, Brad Burton, was there. He was there to support yes, me, right. to give me some a bit of pre-mentoring advice, just took some photos for me, just, you know, that that virtual shoulder hub rub, you know, you, you've got this. And so I was ready. I was mic'd up. We'd practised it. We'd checked the night before. Everything was fine. And then just as I'm being introduced, the guy, bless him, the introduction doesn't quite go to plan. <laughs> the next slide flicks on, and I'm like, this isn't what we're meant to be doing. <laughs> But you've just got to go with it. And, yeah. and at that point, the audience don't know whether that's right or wrong. But it was quite clear that something hadn't been quite right. But you think, I can either let that fluster me and throw me, or I just go on and and you either make light of it or you know, or you kind of break at that point. And mm. for me, you've just got to you've just got to be real. You've got to be honest and say, right, you know, wasn't quite the intro I was ready, but let me crack right on. <laughs> and then people yeah. just think yeah fair enough okay you're probably in that heightened state and then the, the remote didn't work for the slides the, the, the slides were right at the back again it had worked the night before and there I am just subtly trying to click the slide on and it's not working and so I just just made light of it and just said you know what the batteries worked in this last night and just quickly checked with the guys at the back if I just when I give you a thumbs up can you just change the slide for me fine and you've just got to be in that moment and you've got to be prepared for things that might go wrong. And that for Absolutely. me is authenticity. You know, people, mm. you, you, you leave your ego at the steps before you get on if you have one <laughs> yeah. and you just be you. I love that. I think you're quite right. And it's, it's when we air that, I think when we start to kind of get our fears out of our head and into the real world, even if we are in front of people, actually then people can engage with us truly on our terms, mm. which is kind of why we're there. But there is that perception that you, James Perryman, in front of me, that this is like hallelujah, you know your stuff, you don't get anxious, you don't get, but it's not. And we we all manage our stuff, maybe differently, but we all manage our stuff to be as effective as possible. Yeah. I think especially from a mental health perspective, there is certainly that thing that hallelujah, he's cured. No, I'm not, I manage my shit daily. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm off um, to go and take some very deep breath now. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing I wanted to kind of throw into the mix here was around, 
Uh, and you've already kind of given me a good example of that. Is I, I remember speaking, the first thing that really went wrong for me, per se, because the fear is that when people come to the academy, that they uh, will come on to that shortly as well. But when people come to the academy, the, the biggest fear is they're going to get heckled. Uh, and mm. I've done thousands of events, never been heckled, actually heckled mm. once, but that was by a mate, so I'll let him off. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll take that as a given. Um, and actually, the, actually, there was another time where I was introduced and stitched up by Zoe Thompson, who we both know as well. Yeah. So that's a whole yeah. different thing. Um, but the point is, I was trying to thought that, but that kind of fear is that that's going to happen. But it's the things that blindside you, that the things that kind of you need to have that kind of resilience in play for. Yes. Um, I was on the way to an event in London um, and the train was late into Paddington. The Uber, the first Uber broke down. The second Uber <laughs> um, lost his way. Um, Satnav, Satnav. I was um, going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took me to the wrong place. So I had to kind of scoot it across central London and it was the middle of summer. It's blistering heat kind of thing. And I got to the venue. I got into the green room with 38 seconds to spare. And the auditorium, there was 300 lawyers in the room got up in front of them. As you know, I had jeans and shirt and cap, but yeah, big sweaty yeah. mess kind of thing going on right there. <laughs> so of course that thing is, that's the point where we could either keep it in, that only compounds our anxiety, or as you said, we let it out. So I said, have you ever had one of those days where the train's late, the Uber broke down, second Uber lost his way, and now yeah. I'm big, I'm sweaty and I'm hot and I've got to present to 300 lawyers. Got a laugh straight away, always good. But yep. also it, it gave people that authenticity. And, and I know we'll talk about kind of things like body language, but arms mm. dropped. It's kind of yes. they felt safe then because yep. I wasn't somebody going to preach mental health at them, which can be yeah. quite a heavy subject. Yeah, totally. And and I think, and it's one of the things I, I work with people on, no matter whether they're speaking, they're a coach, a trainer, they're, they're going for an interview, is about visualisation and and the importance yeah. of that leading up to an event. So whether you know you're speaking at that event with 300 lawyers, you'll start visualising a week before. Okay, I know you might know the, the building where you're going to speak at, or it's in a green room. Okay, I can picture the green screen, I can picture an audience, I can picture what I'll be wearing, so that when it happens, it feels familiar, it doesn't feel alien. The trick then is as you're on the train that's delayed, is thinking, okay, this is you know starting to get a bit tight now. I'm visualising that I might get to the train station and be in a bit of a panic to get the uber okay mentally i'm all right i'm fine with that then you get in the first uber it breaks down okay it's getting really late now i'm visualizing maybe what if i'm late what if they're rearranging me it messes that but you just keep that reality check of what how am i going to feel when i finally arrive and how do i manage that so that i don't arrive going panic i arrive (laughs) going i'm really sorry there's 38 (laughs) seconds to spare but i'm ready I'm mentally ready, like literally, where's the mic? Where's the green room? You know, and sorry about the big sweaty mess, but I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> and I knew I'd be a big sweaty mess, so it's fine. I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's kind of an acceptance thing, I guess, it's, uh, which is, I mean, acceptance broadly is a huge term. But I mentioned the Speaking Academy and why people come to those things and, and obviously the fears that stop them. I think it was Harvard that said public speaking was a greater fear than death that we yeah. fear ridicule yeah. more than we do dying. So it's no wonder we're screwed when it comes to our conditioning about stepping up. But yeah. I spoke about this last week uh, on, on last week's show about the dynamics of why people come to those events. Now, you'd think as a superficial overview that people just want to speak or deliver a message or network better, that kind of stuff. And But the two people in the room every single time, that actually the reason why they're there is because they don't feel they're being heard at home or in their personal relationships. Mm. So actually the ability to deliver any message to any audience with 
clarity and power and emotion, all those kind of different things, has an ultimately defining effect on our success by our own definition. Now, as a communications expert, do you see that a lot with your clients, especially one-to-one, that why people come to you in the first place? I do. And you know what, Nick? I see it in groups as well. Um, There's there's someone I I still work with now. I actually work with a one-to-one. But she joined um, a training course I ran in Manchester about three days before our first lockdown, funnily enough, like March last year. Um, And she joined from a business perspective, wanting to learn how to engage better with prospective clients. She was running, a, ironically, a training business, but but as a, as a salesperson. And that's what she wanted to take away. What she got from it was actually insight of how to communicate with her children better. She said, because mm-hmm. you talked to me through why we're wired differently, why a message that lands with one person will not work with someone else and how I've got to adapt it and think about what will work with them. She said, it's just these light bulbs were just going off in my head about how I, why, you know, sometimes one child is more responsive than another and how I, how I leverage that and change it. And as I said, we're still working together now and she's just getting success after success, you know, especially through lockdown where she's had to be at home. She's had to homeschool, had the kids at home between her and her husband. They've had to manage it. She said, I don't think I could have done it as well if I hadn't had that insight about adapting my style and thinking about how I communicate. So yeah, I mean, people, I think that's the thing because self-awareness is so tied to it. Self-awareness is a very personal thing. Yeah. And it's it's about you as an individual knowing who you are and the impact you can make before you then go and tell people. When yeah. you've got that absolutely nailed, then great, you then work out how you tell one person compared to another person. And that could be in an audience of 100 people, 300 people, or one, or two, yeah. or three. Absolutely. I mean, in lockdown, I've really only had to contend with the small shih tzu. So the communica- communication <laughs> skills just go to stop barking. That's yeah. a weird thing, isn't it? That, that I, And you'll get this because we were both kind of on the road, kind of uh, gigging, I guess, in that sense before. Mm. That all we ever worried about was getting to the venue on time. Is the mic going to work? Or this kind of yeah. Now it's yeah. like, is the Wi-Fi working? Is the dog yeah. shut up? And it's a whole different set of challenges going on. How it is... is. Um, how has lockdown and the past year, um, how has that affected you and your business and what you do? It's been an interesting year, Nick. It's it's obviously there was that immediate impact as we as we kind of hit end of March, early April. Some of the businesses I was working with doing some training and and kind of group coaching pause just te- temporarily. They just said, look, we, we need to take stock of what's going on. Can we just put a pause? We don't know if you know we're all going to work from home for two weeks, three weeks. Do we just pause it and then you come back and work with us? Um, some actually ramped up what they wanted to do. They said communication is really important. We know we're going to have to work remotely. Help us, James. Help us get this right. How do we make best use of Zoom and Teams and whatever for connecting with each other when we've all been in the office together? So it was it was a weird first few months. And then it stabilised out. We went through the summer and I think we came out of the first lockdown before we went to a second one businesses started to I think open up a bit more they wanted some face-to-face work ended up doing some hybrid work so in a training room with people in the room but also connected on zoom so having to oh, manage okay, that cool. online and offline which was you know that that's where you've really got to have your head switched <laughs> on you've got to be on a good day to remember there's four people on the screen behind you as well as <laughs> yeah. um and and so again we went through a bit of a period of working out so what do we do what do what, what as a business what do we offer you know, my business momentous. Is it an online capability? Is it in person? Is it a mix of both? What should we promote? 
and it kind of found itself it actually predominantly was online because obviously we went into another lockdown and and that's what we've done through from well you know whatever the lockdowns were through to now it's we're starting to do some face-to-face work again um meeting with some kind of existing clients prospective clients to have some of those kind of first meetings about what they want but it's been it's been good it also allowed us time to step back and think what's our brand almost that self-awareness bit from a business perspective let's just reconnect with who we are how do we communicate that to people through our website through linkedin getting people on board to help with some of our social media um mm-hmm. so it's been good it feels like from some perspectives we're a year behind of what we wanted to achieve last year but you know let's take the last year out of the equation we're now looking good for what we wanted to do based on everything we know so yeah absolutely. It's been interesting yeah, I love that. Terry Pratchett, we live in interesting times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Covers a whole manner of sins, that word. Um, so, yeah. so in terms of, I guess, some of the biggest challenges, and this is, isn't something that I do, but it's something certainly that's cropped up in conversations with, with HR leaders around team communication, but also recognising that actually this has changed everything and not necessarily all negative. There's a lot of positives to come from this. And you mentioned that word hybrid. Um, yep. before and that's certainly coming into play now actually what do we do next um, and how does that affect communication so people that are, are still working remotely how do you maintain that relationship whilst there's a, a distance between you yeah it's the great thing is we have the tools to help you know and tools like zoom like we're on now or teams or Google hangouts or skype or you know to they allow us to maintain some of that eye-to-eye contact and giving us a bit of at least facial expression, but a bit of body language, depend purely depending on where you are in relation to your camera. Um, and that makes a big difference, as you know, that being able to read people's body language is actually one of the biggest elements of how we communicate. So it's it's critical that people maintain that, whether they are face-to-face, having that coffee chat, walk around the corridor, walk outside, or they're connecting digitally. Um, that's That's one step to stay connected to people and that's what I'm when I'm coaching managers I say to them think about how you plan your time to be connecting with people that you might be in the office with or who might be working remotely and do that regularly keep checking in with them regularly because they haven't got the people around them to just have a quick chat with or just overhear a conversation or say should we just go grab a coffee grab a water or do you want to walk so you've got to you've got to build that environment virtually and know that if they want to just connect with someone on teams quickly just for a quick chat they can and try and keep that informality to it but it just takes more effort it's a bit like as I said with with doing this hybrid way of training you've got to be switched on you've got to keep saying to yourself when did I last speak to them how were they what what didn't they say what did I read between the lines what did their body language tell me what did I see behind them did I see tidiness did I see chaos you know how what does that mean for their mental state do I connect with them? Do I get other people to connect with them? Bring a team together. Let's have a team event. It's just a bit of fun. It, it takes more effort for a manager to do that, but that's what they've got to do. You know, for mm. me, you can you can be a manager where you know the process and you know all the stuff about booking the annual leave, you know, the, the admin side of it. But actually, to be a great manager, you've got mm. to think about your team engagement, the culture you want to have in your team, and how you bring them together, as well as managing each of them individually and getting the yeah. best out of them. Absolutely. 
as you know, we've kind of alluded to the fact already, we've both worked for Western College. Mm. Um, I do a lot of work in the education space, and for Western, I actually donate some time <coughs> for working with their classes with um, uh, students and also leavers and also care leavers um, of come from ch over challenging backgrounds, have things like autism. Now, when we've now in person, this was a really interesting thing from a communication point of view. Um, I thought it was going to be the worst gig ever that I walked into this classroom and, and a lot of the students were kind of like face down and staring yeah. at the table and that kind of stuff mm. and literally like kind of like this. And as an assumption, as somebody that was new to that environment and also new to things like autism and stuff, um, I was thinking this is going to be tough, uh, and I, kind of you take it quite extensively. He said, but afterwards, the lecturer was saying actually what they're trying to do is to block out all kind of external stimulus, so they can actually listen to what you're saying. Now, what I found is online delivering to those audiences, especially with, with young adults, um, that the screens could be black and actually they could be yep. muted. Um, now, potentially they may not be there, but also we need to understand sometimes that that could be the best way that they can engage right now. Have you experienced that as well in any way? Do you work with education at all? Um, <clears throat> certainly pre the first lockdown, I did quite a bit of work with young people um, going into schools to, to talk with people about very early thoughts about what their career might be, what their first CV might look like, what that first interview, even if it's for, you know, I'm showing my age here, but a paper round, that kind of thing, you know, what would that look like when you're going and representing yourself, doing mock interviews with people? And um, and I think I had that same fear of of going in thinking, what would they be like? How would they take this this old guy coming in trying to help them? It just, it just feel like another lesson or something. But actually, what I've discovered and what I love and is actually a really cool part of what we do at Mentis is young people of today. I think are ambitious. It's it's there. They're ambitious, and it's our job to. Let them know that that's cool. Let them know that it's absolutely great to be ambitious and show them how to go and use that ambition to best effect. So so I remember doing, I actually did it virtually and in person, but I had to, when I was doing one of these events and helping people with interview practice and so on, the teacher said, we've actually watched what you do on LinkedIn and we just wondered, if, um, could you come and just talk to all the students before they do their interviews, just to give them a bit of prep, get them self-aware, confident, you know, you talk about visualisation and so on. I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. They said, great. Assembly is at 8.45. And I was just like, what do you mean assembly? Like an auditorium <laughs> of the school. And I was just like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah. but, but they sat there and they listened. And then when I interviewed a selection of them, you could see they'd listened to what I'd said and they were applying some of the techniques. They even, when we debriefed afterwards, they said, I tried this and I tried that. And I just think it's wonderful. I've tried doing that during lockdown um uh, you know both of us who, who run the mentors we've done it working with a business called young enterprise where oh, yeah. they are trying to help students set up a business and get that early bit of business acumen and it's been tough when you're trying to connect with students virtually we had a little period of time where they were all together in the classroom it was right at the end of their school day so you could see some of them and you could see their body language and that awkwardness and you know oh we're talking to this this person and teacher is here and, and they call you sir it's just like no I'm James they're like no we, we've got to call you sir and it's a little weird um but then trying to do it one-to-one -one when they're all at home you're right a lot of them have the screen off and you have to respect that that actually is because they might not be 100% comfortable with it on but also it means that that whole sight sense is blocked out which means the other four senses are heightened which means they can listen better they can think better yeah 
and it's it's just those little things to recognize that you know if someone isn't visible it doesn't mean they're not there and they're not present and they're not mentally present they're yeah. actually it's just a chosen chosen preference for them and and that's as much of us to get comfortable with that yeah and, and yeah i think so too them. absolutely i mean we're used to seeing lots of faces riffing with a, a, a live audience and and like i said so it has been like learning a new set of skills again on the flip side i think the i took an in-person booking this week for november which i think if i'm not wrong will be the first event that's actually in the diary in person mm. now i'm thinking like i'm actually going to have to learn my stuff again because it, <laughs> it is i've yeah. got so used to this now as the new normal yeah. that we need to get good i guess with change but i noticed the kind of the as this has gone on that zoom fatigue thing that's kind of experienced that it's not just education it's not just things like autism that but people do want to engage in different ways now um where it could be on the surface of it by the old rules taken as being ignored or, or not engaging in stuff yeah and it's it's interesting I've, I've run training courses with um with businesses over towards the back end of last year where they're actually the tech they have is is computers at their desk not even laptops there's no camera so i've had 12 people on a training session for two days and all I've had is their voices and a name on the screen. And, and at first you think, great, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just having to connect for two days with a black screen and, and any slides I want to share or putting them into breakouts. That's quite difficult when, when you're used to either training in person, speaking on stage, coaching in person one-to-one. That you kind of just got to get over that as the facilitator, the trainer, the coach, the speaker. And then you have the flip side where you have 20 people in your Zoom room and you're delivering to 20 people all with a video on and actually to try and maintain eye contact with, well, no, I rephrase that to try and read them is tricky when you, you know, you're trying to just watch for every little nuance, someone, you know, just with the body language like this or the arms, <laughs> it's difficult and it's difficult to read. Um, it's not difficult to project yourself because the, the number one tip I say to people is you can make eye contact with a zoom room of one people or 400 people because it's right there in the camera. As long as you're looking at the camera, you've got eye contact. What's hard is then looking away and looking around. <laughs> yeah, you look and, bit, yeah. and it's just tricky. And people say to me, how do you do it? And you think, you can't 100% do it. You've got to pick your moments. Um, so sometimes, do you know what? Camera's off, saves me a, <laughs> saves me a lot of effort. <laughs> but I would, I, I would rather have it on, yeah. see people, me too. because it just feels like that connection. Yeah. You talk about body language. It was, it was funny last week that I was trying not to laugh at the time because obviously that... But if um, I was delivering to a school, um, who shall remain nameless, uh, and it was year 10 boys, and it was about kind of speaking coaching now, uh, as you know, but if anybody doesn't know, I don't focus on the presentation skills side of things. That's kind of leave mm. it to you. you. You know what you're doing on that front. Mm. I focus on that emotional storytelling thing, but I'm very open with my body language. Like you, I guess we're quite handsy. We're quite the, yep. And there's this, there's this little guy in the front row just doing all this all the time, going to mirror in my movement. So I was thinking like, he's, it's either a massive compliment or he's just trying to engage himself. I don't know. <laughs> but you kind of, it's important, I still think, because you get a lot of people just kind of sat there with their arms and it's it becomes quite dry, especially if we're not using any tonality or, yep. or changing of pace and volume and that kind of yep. stuff. And <clears throat> engagement is crucial. Now, as we mentioned earlier on, you've been a guest speaker before at the Speaking Academy. You are back again next Thursday, the 20th of May. Um, uh, links on the screen now. Now, I was editing, or not editing, so I just kept it all in, but I was just adding and top and tailing your video trailer you did for me. Um, and on the video, you said, it's just really jumped out at me, it's about the words you use and the order that you use them in. 
And that really jumped out at me because I kind of, I focus, I guess, more on the, the feeling side of things in terms of how we make an audience feel. And, but as somebody who's an expert on, on the pres presenting, presentation skills or wording, um, tell us about that, the words you use and the mm -hmm. order that you use them in. I think the words you use have, will give away and instill confidence in your audience. So you've got to use confident, strong sounding words. If I, if I come on stage as a, as a communication king to come and talk to people about communication and I say, well, it's, it's kind of like this and sort of, and I think they're not strong words like, I know this will make an impact. This is what you need to do. Just very subtly using those more confident sounding words is important. Not using words which you potentially might trip over when you're, when you're about to talk, you're on stage, you're on a virtual stage, that panic is there, that little bit of imposter syndrome, that 38 seconds prior coming in, just like just trying to get off that last bit of sweat, the panic, all those kind of things are there to trip us up. And if you've in your speech or in your notes or in your head, you've got some long words in there, there's a high risk you're going to trip up over them. I've done that before and, and they don't come out properly. You then try and get them out again. You lose your flow. It's difficult. Use simple, clear, confident language. The order in which you use them is important in terms of the order in which you, particularly your intro, that first 20, 30 seconds that you engage your audience. And what I talk about at the Speaking Academy, and I'm, so I won't give too much detail away now because you've got to be there to hear it all. But of course. there's only ever four people you're talking to in an audience. And whether that's an audience of four, 20, 100, or just one person, they will be one of those four people. And that's the key thing is to think, who is in my audience? And if I don't know who's in the audience, I've got an audience of 100, then that 20 seconds has to nail all four people so that they know what to expect over what period of time, the number of points you're going to cover, how they're going to feel, and the bit that keeps them hooked in, the anticipation, the excitement, the unknown. You nail all those things in the right order in the first 20 seconds, you've got your entire audience hooked whether that's saying, fine, yeah, okay, you've got 20 minutes of my time, shoot, start talking, or I've got to wait 20 minutes to hear the thing. Yeah. Right, go, you know, let's get through the 20 <laughs> minutes. But either way, you've got them emotionally invested. And that's the important that. thing, because once, if you don't do that, and you start talking, and then you get those people with the arms folded, or sitting there clicking the pen, or you can see they're on the phone, or they start distracting the person next to them, you've lost them. <laughs> and that's that's when you're trying to talk you're trying to hold your stuff together but you can see someone's distracted on the screen in your audience yeah. get them, get it right straight away get them engaged in the right in the right way using the right words in the right order at the beginning great it's it's all down to you i'm excited to hear you speak again i always learn something new from you i like that but you're quite, you're quite right about the only thing I guess you can't change is clients' names. I was I literally did four takes of a 60-second trailer video for a client this morning called Huntingdonshire District Council. <laughs> Do you think I could sell that, say that in like one take? I just kept tripping up no. and tripping up. Um, but there we go. You can't change client names, that's the thing. No. <laughs> Actually, that's an interesting one. Um, and again, <clears throat> I love this conversation because we're kind of lots of different rabbit holes. So <clears throat> I've got this big fear around pronunciation of names people's names so um it used to stop me using names completely to be honest in back in my kind of should we say pre-breakdown days um yeah yeah but now my way of doing that is to is to ask people 
what's your name? How do you pronounce your name? But actually, sometimes we can be afraid to do that. Um, I think, especially over lockdown, the, the, the academy, because it's now online, has gone to people from Spain and Poland. And literally, it's my biggest fear is like it's starting to come in. Now, as much as I love seeing them there, there's a real fear around it, kind of around naming and stuff. Do you find that a lot that people are afraid to, to, to do certain things, ask certain questions? I think the naming thing is interesting. And for me, the, the key is if, if I'm doing a training program for another company, uh, you know, as an in-house or as a, as a preferred trainer, and I get a list of names through and there's some that look tricky, I will ask them if they know how it's pronounced. Just email it phonetically for me. If they can't, then I try to make sure we do some instructions really early on. If it's appropriate, if I'm going to have to refer to them by name rather than I'm just giving a talk. And so I'll just invite people in it. And usually I try to make the introductions good fun. So I say, give me a name. If it's relevant, the business you work from, if there's a topic of the training. So for example, last week was all about being a great manager. What's your experience as a manager? And um, who's the most, most famous person you've ever met? What's the greatest Christmas present you've ever been brought? Um, tell, and if it's a group who know each other and I may be doing a few days, I'll say, tell us something we don't know about you to, to build that rapport. But the first thing I do is tell us, tell us your name, even though I can see it, tell us your name. So when they pronounce it, you're like, right, okay, I've got that. <laughs> I know how to <laughs> yeah. pronounce it. So then I, when I can say, thank you, Nick. And I don't say, oh, thank you, Nike or Nick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I'll can, be called a lot worse, it, right? but I'll, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. I think LinkedIn also have a pronunciation feature now, which is interesting. So people can record the sounding of their <clears> name, <throat> which uh, I'm yeah. hoping yeah. everybody takes <clears throat> up <laughs> just yeah. to make my life easier. Exactly. But I think in terms of, in terms of people asking questions, um, yeah, it's, it's, I found it's, it's probably not too much different than when I've been doing stuff face to face. Um, I think because when you're face to face with people, there's always people in the room who have a question but don't want to ask it. And because they, there's that worry of, will it be a stupid question? Um, you know, I'm not even confident it's a good question, therefore I don't want to ask it. Or I just don't want to be heard. I'm happy listening. I just don't want to be visible as part of this, this room. And I think that's the same virtually, except for I think people have found more confidence because because they can either have the camera off or they can ask it in the chat. And, and so I invite people. I say, look, if you've got a question, if we're on Zoom, use the little thumbs up or the hand up emo uh, emoticon or whatever it's called, reaction. Uh, if you've got a question, put it in the chat. There'll be a time for questions so they know when to expect that, that block of time for any Q&A rather than it being just whenever. So I think if you help manage the time so people know when it's their moment to either speak up or put something in the chat, that yeah. helps them. That's and really cool. certainly if I'm ever running a session uh, and as a delegate, as attendee, and I'm there, I've got other people I know, and I think I know someone's going to have a question about that, and I know they won't want to ask it, I might ask it for them. And I won't say, I think Nick probably has a question. I would just think, <clears throat> Nick would probably want to know about this. So I'll just ask it for me and say, I'm just interested yeah. actually, you know, what, what is the price of fish? Is it going up or is it going down? Because I want the answer, but I know actually it'll be helpful for someone else who wouldn't necessarily ask it. That's pretty so cool. We, I think, yeah, as a speaker, we've got to be mindful of how we, how we give people a safe environment to communicate, ask a question, oh, share their name. That's huge. I mean, audience dynamics has always played a big part. I know that in a, um, I know you'll understand this, but with a, I always remember the first time this happened that I asked, um, <clears throat> it was at Worcester Bosch and the, they, they had a conference kind of hall and I asked for a walkway to go up the middle because it was predominantly trade, predominantly male 
and predominantly didn't turn up for wellbeing initiatives. So the way that we structured it and, and the way that we did kind of promotion of the event, we went from the usual sign up of 30 to nearly 300 people. And it was, and they come in from all over the country. But I also knew nobody would want to sit in the front. <laughs> mm. So I asked for that kind of walkway because, yeah. and I've done this ever since, and it really taught me a valuable <clears throat> lesson about audience dynamics because the people that I need to engage on my theme of mental health and the lived experience angle, they will be in the room, but as far away from me as possible. Yep. Because they want to they want to engage, they want to be there to experience it, but they don't want to be close enough to feel that they're going to get picked on. Like a Jimmy Carr concert, I guess, that kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, by using the, the, <laughs> so walking, so having that walkway meant I can actually slowly start to walk down the middle talking and softly bring them in. That I miss yeah. from in-person stuff. I really oh, do. Totally, yeah. I um one of the big things for me, if I think back to the beginning of my and I, I say speaking. Um, career, if that's the right word, but, you know, because as you know, speaking can be presenting, facilitating, having the confidence to talk it home with your partner or your children. But, but for me, that was about training when I was in my corporate career. And when some of the first training sessions I used to run, I would hide behind, do you remember the, the projector? Yeah. You, oh yeah. You remember the things you put on the projector, but I would hide behind it. It was my safe zone. And the, the classroom was set out as a U shape. So quite, quite engaging. But one of the other guys who had run the course all the time would just walk in the middle of this U-shape, engaging people. And for me, that was like the danger zone. I was like, how are you doing that? <laughs> so the first time I found the confidence to go into there, I felt exposed. I felt like everyone's watching me. But actually, the, the connection I made with people just doubled, tripled, quadrupled. It's huge, isn't it? Because I could get closer. I could get eye contact with individuals rather than looking at someone at the back of the room and they're thinking, are you looking at me? Are you looking at them? I don't, you know, what's the question to me? You can get up close. And actually then I realized it helps them when you're facilitating, when you've got people and you've run an all day session, it's three o'clock, you've had a big carby lunch. There's a few eyelids going actually by walking around, walking behind people who are just feeling a bit sleepy, your volume goes past them, wakes them yeah. up a bit. You can even just give them a little subtle tap on the shoulder or you can call a coffee break. It, it gives you those ability and those skills to to connect better with your audience. And Absolutely. for me, when you when you're talking on on a stage, it's obviously tricky unless you've got that walkway and you can start. Yeah. If like at Western, where can they come up at this this centre? Well, come up at the front onto the stage, but you've got a room full. Yeah, that that trick of dividing your audience up into three means you can engage them and kind of front and back if it's not too deep. And that's important. It's, there's nothing worse than being on the receiving end of a speaker who makes eye contact at you the whole time and, and you're like, <laughs> you stop looking at me. Like, yeah. I'm going to have to just look away so look that you look at me. <laughs> and so, A, don't put people in that position and B, divide the room up so you engage everyone. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the Western event. I mean, it's a beautiful venue, Winter Gardens. Mm. And, um, yeah. If I'm honest, I'll, I'll be completely honest that the picture on the screen now is from me delivering my session at the Winter Gardens. Now, um, the reason I, I wasn't on the stage at this point wasn't because that I was being dynamic and engaging. I actually wasn't confident the stage was going to hold me for too long when I'm jumping around and prowling. So, <laughs> so there, there are the reasons why we'll go out into a crowd, but it can be done. And like you said, it's just a case of, but this is where it comes back to what we said right at the beginning is when you know whatever platform or stage you may have, once you can visualize it, once you can feel it, you can actually just start to work with that before you even get to that venue. Yeah, and it's step by step. You know, I, I, if we, you know, Western's a great example. I'd gone down there the night before, 
So I went and met them. They showed me the room, how it was, we talked about how it was going to look. We tested the slides, tested the mic. It meant I could, that visualization was right up there because I could stand on the stage. I could imagine what it would look like. And I could think about, I'm, I'm confident walking around the stage. That's 100% there. The next morning I'm there, I'm ready. I'm in the zone. I see Brad, he's there and he's just like, how are you doing champ? Yeah, I'm good. He said, cool, stage is looking good. Are you going to come off the stage at all, James? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, are you going to come off the stage? I hadn't thought about that. He said, come off the stage at some point. If you feel comfortable with it, come off the stage so you're even closer to the audience. And I thought, that is superb. When do I do that? What's when, when in my talk do I need to do that? And I knew the point. There was a point at which that even more personal impact would drive home one of my key points. Yeah. So much better. And so I thought, right, I need to, you know, the anchor point to start that walk off the stage while I'm talking. Because you don't want to go just a minute and then walk off. <laughs> But I, I knew what it was, and it did. Suddenly, you, you saw that shift in people's body language, and they turned to look at you, and just that little bit of so used to the stage, but then coming off and being in the audience was yeah. so powerful. Beautiful. I think it's obvious to everybody watching this now and listening on the podcast why I brought you in, but not just <laughs> as you are an expert in your field and you're the communication king. That's sticking, by the way. We're having that. Uh, <laughs> not just because you're a top bloke and really nice to talk to anyway, but also, also because you speak with passion about what you do. Now, I found anybody that speaks about with passion about what they do and what they cover, they have a why. What's your why? Why do you do what you do in, in the way that you do it? I, my why is to enable people to, to, I know it sounds corny, but to be the very best they can, but it's, it's about having that inner confidence. It's about knowing this is what I'm put on this planet to do as much as knowing what I'm not here to do. Cut the noise out. Here's what I'm here for. And I know how I go about and tell people to do it. Because for years, I didn't have that. I just said yes to everything. I burnt out, as you know, you know, the story of head to toe psoriasis. And that, that was my journey to find out actually why am I here? What do I enjoy? What makes me tick? And what, what makes my lies light up? And it's when other people's eyes light up. It's when they get their true potential. And I just want to be the catalyst for that and, and help them through it. And so they look back and go, James just allowed me that safe space just to, to be me and tell people Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Love that. You're a good man. So finally, um, yeah. I've now been made the MC of the O2 Arena. 20,000 people have spent their hard-earned money to come and hear I you know do that thing. Well. <laughs> yeah. Just about to introduce you to the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Perryman, your walk-on music kicks in. What would that walk-on song be? It is A King is Born by Aloe Black. It's a beautiful song that brings, comes in, and at 19 seconds, that's when the beat drops, and it's perfect. It's 19 seconds to walk on, get to the front, it's building. Smooth. The, the, the anticipation is building, then at 19 seconds it kicks in, you give a few seconds of that, that, Brilliant song, fades down. Good morning, 20,000 people at the O2 Arena. Love that. And that song, amongst all the others that have been shared by our guests, will be in a playlist available at the end of the season. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. But for now, big round of applause, James Perryman. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Absolute legend. Thank you so much for donating your valuable time to come on the show and speak to us all. Really enjoyed it. And hopefully we'll get you back for season three. So I'll see Sounds you great. Take Brilliant. care, James. Cheers, 
And for everybody else, please stay tuned for the Forge Ahead Show, Season 2, Episode 9, where we have Alex Blake. Alex Blake is the founder of PMA, obviously, Positive Mental Attitude, obviously, mental health coach, mental health speaker, somebody that came through the academy, and he's going to be sharing his experiences of how he's got to where he is right now, but also, more importantly, where he's going. It's what you do next that counts. So that's me, Nick Elston, Forge Your Head Show. See you soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. A big thank you for tuning in to today's show. Please stay tuned and hit subscribe for future episodes bringing you amazing guests, sharing amazing content and amazing insights. Really excited to bring you these. The Forge Ahead Show is sponsored by NickElston.com. If you want to connect with me, you can find all the ways possible through the website. If you want to drop me a message, always great to hear from you. But in the meantime, if I don't catch you before, I'll see you at the next episode. And you take care, guys. Cheers now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.